Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are times in Scripture when a person's name is, is given because it is significant. And then there are other times that they are just mentioned as to their role or what they do because their name is insignificant to what they did or what they believed or what they caused to happen. In this case, there is, there, there's no name given in this case. Uh, he's just called a Roman centurion. For the main point here is a principle that was understood. And he understood a spiritual principle that most people do not. For he understood what authority was and how it operated. And he understood that it was operating not only in the natural but in the supernatural as well. And he is going to exemplify that by what he said. You see, it's, it's not about him. It's about what he understood, the principle of faith that he exhibited. So, what do we know about the role of a centurion? Well, we know that they were military people. We know that, and he was a Roman soldier. He's part of a fighting force that was really ruthful and decisive. They were not merciful people, as we understand the role. Rome ruled with a rod of iron, and he had evidently worked his way up through faithful service to the place and station of a centurion. He had distinguished himself in battle, and so he was elevated to that position. Now, he got the name because he would have been in, would have been in charge of 100 soldiers which was called a century. So he would be the centurion. And this would have been part of a larger group that was called a legion. And this was made up of 60 centuries, or 6,000 soldiers. They each would have their centurion, so he would be one of 60 centurions. Now, when you understand the name legion... This gives us a little bit greater understanding of what Jesus was up against when he spoke to the demoniac in Gadara and says, what is your name? He says, we are legion, for we are many. So you're saying then that uh, this man could have been possessed with upwards of 6,000 demonic spirits? Yes, it's possible. But what happened there? Jesus spoke the word, and they fled. We're going to see all through this the principle of authority that Jesus has. Now, during the time of Jesus, the headquarters of the Roman army in Judea was located in Caesarea, and that was on the Mediterranean coast. And the distance from Caesarea to Capernaum was approximately 50 miles how far it was. Now, and we're going to pick up on that in just a moment. But this man, contrary to the usual idea we have of a Roman soldier, was very compassionate. He had this quality about him that was unnatural, and so that was noteworthy when Jesus was talking about this man, and Luke was bringing out this account. He had a servant who was ill. And he was very concerned about his or her well-being. We're not told the gender of the servant, but we are just told that the servant was not well and this man wanted 
to help. Now, having heard about Jesus, he sent some of the elders of the Jews to Jesus for a specific purpose. And as you read it, he says, this is what I want. I want you to come and heal my servant. That was it. Straight to the point. He had no doubts that if Jesus came, his servant would be healed. He wasn't interested in a visit. He wasn't interested in some pity. He had a purpose. He says, come and heal him. No doubts. Just a matter of fact. If you come, he will be healed. Now, we've seen this faith in other places as well. We see the woman who had the issue of blood. She says, if I can only touch even the hem of his garment, I will be healed. We saw in, in a reverse way with Mary and, and Martha. It says, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. So the power that Jesus represented then and now was evident to people that they had no doubts that if he was there, something was going to happen. Now, the centurion added to this, he obviously had a good relationship with the Jewish leaders for them to even consider asking on his behalf. Now, as we understand history, the the leaders of the Jewish religious community had no love for the Roman soldiers. There was animosity there. And in fact, the only time they approached asking for a favor, as we read in Scripture, is when they want Jesus crucified. So here, if we see that, that this man had, had such a compassion that he would, had a relationship with the Jewish leaders that they would go and talk on his behalf. They represented him. What does Scripture say? He says, the elders told Jesus that this centurion loved the Jewish nation. That in itself was different. You see, everything that's recorded in Scripture is there for a purpose. And the fact that he loved the Jewish nation was not the norm for the centurions. They looked on the the Jews as as just dogs that needed to be uh, controlled. That's all they saw them as. But this man, he saw them with a love and he loved their nation. What else? He even built them a synagogue to worship in. Now, this was no small feat that he did. And it would have been at considerable expense, and I have no doubt he probably used some of his soldiers as the workforce as well to build them a synagogue. He had built a relationship with them, and they also then had a love relationship back to this man as well. Now, these elders considered this request to be important enough for them to make the journey. Now, we're not told specifically if this centurion was stationed in Capernaum or if he was stationed in Caesarea. We know Jesus was in Capernaum. But it just says that this man had a servant. He doesn't really tell us where he lived. It's possible that he was stationed in Capernaum, but we don't know. But if, he had, if they had had to come from Caesarea, that would have been a journey of about 50 miles. And uh, I don't know about you, but the, the longest I've ever walked in one day was 20 miles. And I was considerably younger than I am now. I remember when I was a young person growing up in the Own Sound area, we used to walk from the church in Own Sound to Sobble Beach. 
for a walkathon to raise money for missions. That's what we did. Now, I got to tell you another thing. My feet hurt. My blisters decided they wanted company, and they got more blisters. And so by the end of that trip, I was in pretty bad shape. But uh, I know you're all worried. I, I did recover. Yes. Yeah, I did. But if you think that these men, these elders of the Jews, would embark on a journey that would even resemble that distance. Again, we don't know for sure, but it is possible that they had done this. Well, we know from his message that he was also a humble man, the centurion. He says, for he did not even consider himself worthy enough for Jesus to come under his roof. Wow. How many of you, if you knew the Queen of England was coming for a visit, would you invite her over to your place for supper? Well, maybe if I cleaned the place for five months <laughs> and did the upgrades. How many, how many husbands have a honey-do list still of things that you need to do around the house? Yeah, working on it. This guy was a humble, humble man. Now, this conveys two thoughts. Number one, he understood that a strict Jew would not enter the house of a Gentile. This was contrary to their law. He understood that principle because he understood. He loved the Jewish nation. He built them a synagogue. He knew what they believed. And he knew for them to, for, for them to be asking this would be a breach of protocol. He says, I, I know. I, I know that they can't come here, so I'm, I'm making this request. This also conveys a second idea, though. That he had... But he admitted that he was not worthy for Jesus to enter his house. And in doing this, he recognized Jesus as being greater than himself. When John the Baptist was baptizing people, he said, There is one coming after me, the the latchet of his shoe I'm not even worthy to undo. Why? Because he is greater than I am. And by assuming this posture of, of humility, he was by, thereby saying that Jesus was greater than himself. That he was in a position different that was above. Now, keep in mind, this man had soldiers under him, and he understood well the principle. Now, in Luke's account, there is no mention that he ever did meet Jesus In reading Matthew's account in chapter 8, it it might sound like he was there in person, but we need to, to understand that in his understanding, for a person to represent him and say the words he told him to say, it was equal to him being there himself. That's how authority works. If I give you authority to, to, to act in my name, that is equal to my being there. You have all the authority of what I might be saying for you. And you know, uh, isn't that how we are to represent Christ to others today? 
Isn't that exactly how we are to represent him? We are, say to, we are to say the words that he would say. We are do, to do the things that he would do. We are to represent the principles that he would represent. We are to be his ambassadors. We are to be his hands and feet on this earth. That is how we as Christians are to live our lives, to represent the king. Well, this then, Syrian, then he illustrates that he indeed does understand exactly what he has just said. And what's he say? For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell, the, tell this one go, and he goes. I tell this one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He understood the power of what he said, the power of the spoken word from one who is in authority. And he recognizes Jesus as just such a man. Now this ties in with a scripture in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. It says, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Now here, this, this next part is really key to our understanding of this. When we truly have faith in God, then what we say with our mouths, what we confess, takes on a powerful importance because what we say in the natural has great spiritual implications. The words that we say. Now, I'm going to put this in balance, so don't worry about it, because there have been a number, a number of groups over the years that have taken this out of balance and out of context. See, the proper balance is that in order for us to really understand that the words we say in the natural affect the spiritual, we also have to be under the authority of the name of Jesus. We need to be under the authority of Jesus as the Lord of our lives. There's a story in the book of Acts of these sons of Sceva who saw people driving out demonic spirits. And they go up to this demonic man and they say, we adjure you in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. Come out of him. And the spirits look at him and say, well, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? And the scripture says they set upon him and give him, give him a real thrashing. See, in order for the power of the name of Jesus to be active in our lives, we also need to be under the authority of that name. Are we living under authority? There are times when people would approach Jesus and they say, what do you want? And they would say, I want to be healed. And he would respond, according to your faith, be it unto you. So what is it, folks, that we're confessing? 
What is it that we are saying? What is it that we with our mouths are speaking in the natural that we will see a result in the supernatural? See, I don't quite still understand what you mean. Well, I want to talk just for a few moments about what it matters, what we say, why it matters. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, it says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty or idle word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. When I was a kid, we used to sing a little song in Sunday school, Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. The book of James, chapter 3, says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. According to your faith, be it unto you. What are you confessing? Are you confessing despair and discouragement? Are you, are you confessing sickness and poverty? Now here, I want, here's where you need to balance it because some have taken this the other direction where they say all I have to do is put a picture of a of million dollars on the fridge and start confessing that or a picture of a, of a huge automobile on the, on, the car, on, the, on, the, on the fridge and all I confess that. See, that's out of balance. The scripture says that we will prosper as our soul prospers. And I'm not saying that God might not give you all of these things. But the scripture says there's not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty that are chosen. God chooses the weak of the world. Proverbs 6. In the list of the seven deadly sins, three of them have to deal with what we say. Talks about a lying tongue. These are things that really ticks God off. A lying tongue. Number two, a false witness who spreads, speaks lies. Number three, the one who sows discord among brethren. You ever met someone who just loves to complain? who loves to tell stories, who loves to give you all the dirt on someone else, who loves to stir things up, i got to tell you, folks, we will give account for every idle word that we have said. Over the years, I've had many people pray great prayers. And they prayed great prayers about someone who needed healing. And then after it's done in conversation outside, they say, oh, I don't think they're going to make it. So in the prayer, they're praying great prayers of positiveness. And in conversation, they're undoing it all by saying it's not going to happen. 
See, the centurion understood what authority meant. And he knew that this Jesus had authority in the natural and in the spiritual. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now the word authority in Greek is the word exousia. And it means ability, it means privilege, it's force, it's capacity or delegated influence. Jesus, as he spoke to sickness, had authority. Jesus, as he spoke to sin, had authority. Jesus, as he spoke to the demoniac, had authority. Jesus, as he spoke to death, had authority. Because all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth. Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was. Well, Peter replied that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus tells them a key principle. You see, after you come to the realization that Jesus is truly the Son of God, verse 19 of Matthew 16 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Think about that. How have we been talking about the future of our church? How have we been talking about the leadership? That's been in place. How have we been talking about the programs? How have we been talking about the future of Scott Street MB Church? I bear witness for the last couple of years, I've been standing up here and telling you the best days are yet to come. God has got a plan for this church. God is not finished with us yet. And we have yet to see what God wants to do through this church. And I confess that with my mouth. I do not tear it down in the back alleys. I build it up with my words and what I say because I do not want to be guilty of binding up what God wants to do here in this place. And neither do you. If you've been talking down to people and, and, and programs, stop it. Stop it. Start talking blessing. There's a principle in Scripture that we will reap what we sow. That works in every aspect of life. My wife and I have a wonderful relationship because we don't sow discouragement. We don't sow criticism. We don't sow discouraging words. We sow encouragement. We sow love. We sow uh, respect and understanding. And our relationship continues to get stronger day by day by day. And that's how we as a church are able to go forth. The centurion realized that the power was within Jesus himself to change the natural order of creation simply by saying the word. And he realized that the power to heal was resident within this man, Jesus, and that if he spoke the word, then it would be done. And he believed it. He had no doubts. 
If Jesus said it, it would happen. The question that we have for us today is, do we believe it? Do we realize the power that is in the name of Jesus, or do we throw up our hands and say, well, what can you do? We are about to step into a wonderful new chapter in the life of Scott Street MB Church. I am so excited about the pastor and his wife that are coming here in just a couple of weeks. I look at them and everything I see in them is saying, yes, there is hope. Yes, there is future. I look at them and say, I will do everything I can to support them. And I know that many of you over this last year and a half have done everything you can to support the leadership team and the staff and the board of elders. And I applaud you for that. Because we work together. And we've seen what God can do when we decide to work together rather than pull apart. And I applaud you for that. Well, I want to leave you with this. We see it every Sunday. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what that means? That means that when the centurion says, all you have to do is say the word and it'll happen, that's still true today. Do you agree with that? It's still true today. What he did then, he can do today. God has a plan for your life God has a plan for our church. God has a vision for us in the north end of this city as we love God, we love people, as a family of God. Can you say amen? Thank you for listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.